Welcome to day 297 of Shaped by the Word, and uh, we're back in the book of James today, and we've all kind of agreed around the table that the book of James is deeply convicting. Mm-hmm. Uh, we cannot, you know, really with James, although he has some nice theological categories, we, we cannot get lost in his theological categories because his applications are so straightforward and so very plain. A lot of people have put, you know, James and Paul in conflict. Uh, whether you know Paul emphasizes you know faith, you know without works, and James emphasizes faith with works, and of course they're both saying the same thing. Our, our works do not justify us before God, but once justified before God, it, it, it should produce fruit, and that fruit is you know the fruit of good works. And so James kind of describes what it looks like uh, to be overcome by the gospel, to be overcome by grace, and how we should live. And so when we start. Chapter two, it, it it simply starts with how we look at others, uh, that we should you know look with others with all the grace and compassion. Lord Jesus Christ has you know looked at us, and uh, so before before we dig in, let's um, I'm using Matt Kresge's word there before we dig dive in. in before oh before dive we dive in, in. Dive in. Dive in. before we dive in. Like, why don't you dive into prayer, Matt? Yeah, let's pray. <laughs> Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the grace that we have in Christ Jesus. And as we uh, read your word together, uh, would you search our hearts? Um, You you know us better than we know ourselves. And and so, Father, um, expose those areas in our life that need to be exposed and um, comfort us in the ways that we need to be comforted. Um, God, give us wisdom as we read. Uh, Be with us as we draw near to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. James chapter 2. My brothers and sisters, believers believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you've dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbors yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as a lawbreaker. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do commit murder, you've become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, it is not accompanied by action, it is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. 
And the scripture is fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As a body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And we start you know, with a you know, deeply convicting uh, you know, challenge not to, you know, not to show favoritism and not to judge people by you know, outward experiences. And of course, the theology that he uses is a very, dip, you know, a very deep theology uh, that uh, you know, God has chosen to lavish uh, all the graces of the kingdom you know, on those who, who are not necessarily have all the things of this world. And mm-hmm. because God has received them and God has you know, brought them into fellowship with himself, then we ought to honor them in fellowship with one another. And he's saying, you know, sometimes the very people that are attacking, you know, the kingdom, those whose confidence is in riches and those whose uh, confidence are in their own ability uh, are the ones that we deeply honor rather than the ones, you know, that that are the distance ones. Of course, you're getting the the emphasis of the gospel here, the the upside-down kingdom. Uh, you know, where Mary, you know, in the beginning when she sings her song, talks about the rich are sent away empty, but the, the, the poor have become or have been filled. His mother, the author's mother, uh-huh. said that. That's right. Yeah. Um, I just can't help but picture the parable that Jesus shares um, of, and I don't know all, all the specific details, but um, the, the landowner, the master, um, has a debtor and a man in his debt and he owes a certain debt and he um after the man begs him um he forgives him his debt and then of course that debtor goes to someone who owes him a debt and demands that he pays it right so the whole idea of the parable is that i mean this man who's been forgiven so much doesn't go out and show that same forgiveness and that same mercy um to someone who owes him a much less debt and um, I can't help but think about that when I read this because, I mean, <laughs> we, we should find ourselves in the category of the poor, um, of those who were on the outside and have been brought in by his grace. No. And, and yet so many times when we are in a position where we're tempted to show, pre- well, not even tempted, where we show prejudice to people and the poor are, you sit over here, you can come sit on the outside and yes, please come over here, those of you who have money, those of you who have riches and, and influence. Um, so we should, and thankfully by God's word, we're reminded that we were on the outside and we have been brought in and we're called to show others that same kind of mercy that we've been shown. Um, unfortunately, you know, our hearts don't want to do that. Yeah, well, he's already challenged us. You know, those, those of you who are poor, exalt in your you know, high position. In other words, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, your identity is not in what you have or don't have or mm-hmm. what you've achieved and what you've not achieved, but in the grace that you found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And those of you who are rich, uh, should exalt in your your low position. You, you should be deeply humbled that none of your riches have committed you to God. None of your you know worldly abilities or your your worldly successes have committed you to God. Uh, none of the you know the wealth that you have, which you know, he will later say is passing away, even as mm-hmm. you know even as you go about your business. 
uh, you know, commends you to God, but it is by grace. And so it, it exalts the humble and it humbles the exalted. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and of course, in the church, we should recognize that. And he's given us a good test case. You know, I wonder, you know, what would it be our internal reaction? You know, I'm hoping mm-hmm. outwardly we respond one way, but internally, what would be our internal you know, reaction if, you know, if, if a homeless person, you know, that looks like the guys look that are, you know, underneath the bridge, you know, downtown Austin and, and, and smells like the guys smell that are under the bridge in downtown Austin. And they come into our nice, you know, kind of comfortable, you know, establishment, you know, what our first heart reaction, mm-hmm. you know, would be. Yeah. And I hope it would be one of grace, but that uh, it, we do, we, we all size people up, you know, by, you know, by the way they, by the way they look. And that should never be. We violated the royal law, yeah. which he brings down to loving your neighbors yourself. That that's it. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the most. I mean, most powerful things about this passage is is James isn't going to let it go. You know, he's not going to let you just. We're really good at I think justifying why we maybe behave a certain way or mm-hmm. think a certain way or even respond to a situation a certain way. You know, that made me uncomfortable or. You know, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. and, and James is is looking at saying, "No, we have to go beyond that. We have to see what Christ has done for us, and then respond out of that." You know that that, and and I love too. I, I think sometimes we think, you know, ah, oh, well, who's who's this for? And you know, who's he writing to? And even as we were reading it this time together, it's like he's kind of writing to what seems to be like a middle class pupil. Mm-hmm. You know, where he says, "Is it not the rich who are, you know, is it not the rich who are dragging you in?" Mm-hmm. And exploiting you, and you know, and then they're the ones who are kind of dishonoring the poor among them, and and I, I, I just at times I wonder, you know, James is so practical. Like, what would he write, you know, to to us? What would he write to the American church? And it in some ways would probably feel a lot like this, which just reminds me, man, God's word is is so powerful and practical and specific to our moments as well. No, and, and not only that, but human depravity yeah. expresses itself exactly. in, in much the same way. We find our security, you know, by identifying with people that are like us and our ambitions and people who, you know, we, we honor that, you know, probably ought not to be honored. You know, they, mm-hmm. they've, they've had some outward achievements and they have the appearance of success, but not necessarily the heart and the character, you know, that comes from the gospel. And, and so really in our minds, you know, the, those who are who are poor but have great faith should be more honored and more admired and more emulated, you know, than those who are rich who only have marginal, yeah. you know, or are successful. Yeah. And for us, that's you know one of the idolatries of our time is outward success and the trappings of success. And we all want to, you know, we all want to have it. We all want to be around people, you know, who who do have it. But that's not necessarily what God values are not even close to what God values actually as we read it and that's a good observation Matt all the way through this is pretty much he is talking to a you know an, an upper middle class audience and, and their attitudes toward those who are you know socially higher than them and those who are you know socially lower than them and mm-hmm. that, that from beginning to end you're going to feel that you know mm-hmm. in, in the book of James and then of course we have the famous you know argument between Paul and James yeah. you know uh, Paul you know Paul you know talks about you know faith apart from works we're justified by faith apart from works and james said you know show me you know show me your your faith without deeds and i will show you my faith you know by my deeds and of course ultimately you know they're they're not in conflict ultimately they're both saying the same thing none of our works justify us before god it's just receiving you know the gift of grace 
through the accomplished work of you know Christ on the cross through his life death and and, and, and resurrection that that's the only thing that brings us into relationship with God but the relationship we have with God is so transforming that it begins to change our heart and our attitudes and the way that we respond to the world so it, it, it should bear fruit and it should you know show up so in the, our Lord's Prayer you know John 17 uh, you know, he said this is to the Father's glory that you bear much fruit mm-hmm. showing yourselves to be my disciples and it's through the much fruit you know that the disciples uh, discipleship uh, becomes visible yeah mm-hmm. I, I yeah I think um, for me just as I read this I see so much in common with um, the Sermon on the Mount and um, there's just a lot of um, similarities between the two it's kind of fun to see that and, and to know that um, that this is Jesus's brother and um, I don't know just like they were raised by the same parents and of course James didn't necessarily believe Jesus I mean did his brothers believe he was the Messiah until later because they thought he was crazy right Uh, they they did think he was crazy he's out of his mind so maybe like at the time of the Sermon on the Mount he might have even been thinking that Jesus was a little out of his mind at that point maybe I don't know but um, well, it, it also shows the same you know Jewish background that the Sermon on the Mount yeah. is very much in character, mm. you know, with the Old yeah. Testament law or the heart of the Old Testament law, and, and of course you know James you know James would have had that you know, same kind of sense, but he would have also seen you know how Jesus you know how Jesus spoke about the fulfillment of the law, yeah. and, and that's what he's doing here. He's saying this is the way we fulfilled the. You know, he's called it, you know, the the royal law, and he's also called it, you know, the perfect law, you know, that you know that gives freedom, uh, and so he sees the law as leading us, you know, to the gospel and to grace and to the works, you know, that come by, you know, come by grace. Yeah, but um, you know, he says, for he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do, if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you've become a lawbreaker. So he's saying, if you break one law, you've broken the whole law, which just reminds me of what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Like you, you say you haven't committed adultery, and yet you look at someone lustfully, like that you're breaking the the commandment. So it's just um, interesting, and I, and I say that just to say, like if you know there was any sort of argument against what he's saying. I'd say, you know, this really is just um, in so many ways um, pointing us back to the Sermon on the Mount um, and what Jesus has taught us. Um, and so, I, yeah, I would, that's probably what I would point to as just like a response to that argument, you know? I don't know. Yeah, I, think, I mean, I think this whole section and really the whole letter of James is just a reminder that you know, our, our faith in God and our knowledge of God, like it can't just stay, well, I haven't, you know, I, I know, I, I believe there's one God. He'd say, even the demons believe that and shudder. Mm-hmm. You know, that that our, that faith leads to good works. Right. And even I think of like Paul, you know, when you think about the times people will say, you mentioned in the beginning is, does Paul and James have a different opinion or a different view? And they just place the emphasis on different, you know, mm-hmm. different strings or whatever you want to say. And, and Paul would say, yeah, God prepared those works in advance for us to walk in. Oh, absolutely. And therefore we walk in them. Mm-hmm. You know, and James would say, oh, good, you have faith. Now the you works that God has prepared in advance, are you walking in them? Where's the fruit? Well, you know? yeah, there's a place that works do not matter. Uh, our exactly works right. our works have uh, no consequence at all in justifying us before God. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a place where works really matter. 
uh, as they flow out of a gracious relationship with God as His Holy Spirit works in us to transform us into the image of Christ to do the very things you know that he that he that he did mm. and it is as the body hands you know as a body without the spirit is dead so faith uh, without deeds or without works or without fruit you know is also dead mm. Heavenly Father thank you for uh, thank you for the reminders thank you for uh, James's very straightforward style. Thank you for his love for Old Testament law, and thank you for his uh, ability to show us the grace within the law and the place where that grace would lead us. And we thank you, Father, so much uh, that uh, Jesus, you know, came among us as one who who, who spoke of the kingdom and, and and did the works of the kingdom. And we we be those people. May we we know the King, and may we trust in Him confidently, and may our trust in Him transform us to do the things that He has called us to do and to be the people He has called us to be in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.